I'm in Cedar Falls, guys. Woo! <laughs> so if that means nothing to you, my name's Stephen Jones, and we rolled into town last week, and I'm going to be the salt director up here. And I could not be more excited. I literally, I just have just been driving around and just like, this is my home. This is it. I love this place, memorizing street names, just because I want Cedar Falls to just be burned, like a map of it on my heart for my entire life. Maybe we'll get a map of Cedar Falls tattooed over my heart. Should I do that? Just CF right here. And then, like, that'd be great, CF right here. And then if I need to, like, explain it some other way than Cedar Falls, I'll just say, Christ forever. <laughs> right? I can get away with that for sure. Oh, it is so good to be here with you guys tonight. I am so happy. So if you weren't here back in September when I was up here, I have a wife. Her name's Natalie. She is just an incredible woman. I'm so excited for all of you to get to know her. We have two kids, Isla and Jack. It's Isla's birthday today. She is a sweetheart. We got her this amazing Play-Doh set, which really was me getting myself an amazing Play-Doh set. And it was perfect because we broke it out for her this afternoon and Isla was just like wanting me to play with it. And I was like, I'll play with your toys. This is awesome. So Isla's great. Jack is six months old. He's just this little stud eating his peas left and right. Just let's go get them, Jack. Get strong. Let's get strong, bud. So we're up here. We're super excited. Um, if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to John 14. We've been working through these statements throughout the gospel of John that Jesus makes, these I am statements. Basically, he says seven times, I am this. And so we're going to look at the sixth one tonight. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. We got some for you. Just let someone know that you need one when you head out. Uh, but you want to bring that every single week because we're going to open God's word each and every week and hear from him. So uh, four years ago, I went on an overseas trip with a salt company to Southeast Asia, and it was like one of the first things that we did. We met this guy who's just this incredible guy. His name, wait for it, is Surprise. I'm dead serious. His name was Surprise. So Surprise is just, he turns out to be one of my best friends over in this country, and he's like, hey, I do this ministry over in this other town that's like two hours away. Would you guys want to come check, check it out some weekend? So we're like, oh, for sure. So we set it up the very first weekend. We get on this train. We head over there all day, do this like English classes with all these uh, students. And then the next day we do it all day again. And then so it's time to head back to the city that was our home base. And I don't know what was going on with surprises itinerary, but it was literally like I, this will all be, the story will be full of puns. It was full of surprises. So... Uh, he just literally scheduled our day past the train that we were supposed to take. Like we had one train that take us to this town, then one train that take us back to the city that we're in. And for whatever reason, he's like, I'm just going to schedule this and we're going to miss the first train. And we're like, what, what are you doing? He's like, well, it's fine. We had a two hour layover thing in the second town and it takes two hours to get there. So we're going to, we're going to be totally good. And I'm like, all right. So we get done with our day. We hop in this like taxi van, like big quotes, taxi van over in Southeast Asia. We're just piled in, luggage all on top of us. And it's like 6 p.m. So we're like, okay, surprise. We haven't eaten since breakfast. Like, what are we doing? He's like, don't worry. I'm getting tons of pizza. We can bring it on the train. Like, we'll have a huge pizza party on this train. We're like, all right, surprise. 
So we drive two hours, and the whole time I'm like just sitting there sweating, like, so surprised, the train leaves at 8 p.m. He's like, oh yeah, we're fine. I was like, and we're getting pizza before we get this train? He's like, oh yeah, for sure, my cousin's gonna bring, your cousin? And so, <laughs> surprise knew what was going on. I'm just like, whatever, I trust you, surprise, with my life. So we get to this, this midpoint town, and it is now like 7.59. And the, he's like, surprise, surprise, like, hey, this guy's gonna drop us right off at the train station. I'm okay, okay. So he, we stop. And the van doors open and the driver points to this building that is just like not close at all. And it is 7.59 and Surprise is like, hey, there's the train station. And I'm like, Surprise, it leaves in 60 seconds. He's like, they're always late. Like, no. So we've just immediately realized the direness of the situation we were in. Surprise has led six of us to this nowhere man's land in this middle of country, this small town, and we're about to get left by a train that's supposed to take us home. And so we just grab all of our luggage and just start sprinting for this train station that's a block away. And we're just sprinting down the road. And I don't remember exactly when the pizza came in, but at some point pizza came in. I don't know how, but it did. It was a big surprise. So I am totally going to just milk that. So we're just sprinting for this train station. And finally we get there, we're in line, we get the tickets. And I'm just like, there's no way. We are I'm like looking for benches at this point of like, where am I gonna sleep tonight? Somehow it is total like movie moment, home alone where they're sprinting to the airport. We get on this train and it was classic like movie where the door shut the second we get on. And we're just dumbfounded. How did we make this train? So we sit down, just starving at this point, 8 p.m. And this surprise is like, all right, pizza time. And he opens up these boxes and it was these two little dessert pizzas. Like dessert pizza, whatever that, what's that frosting you put on dessert pizza? Is it like a cottage, not a cottage cheese, a cream cheese. <laughs> cottage cheese on dessert pizza? Uh-huh, sign me up. And then like that like elementary school lunch food, like, it was that fruit that looks like fake fruit that's actually just candy, you know, in elementary that you got those red things that you're like, what is this red thing? And why does it taste like nothing? I don't know. But that was just it. And there was these two of these for seven of us. And we're like, all right, surprise. That was a surprise, you know? That's like what we're thinking. And we ride on like two hours back. By the time we get back to the town, the city that we were in, we're beyond hungry. We're just like, just now tired. So we're falling asleep. Another taxi ride hour. It was a horrible night, but somehow we made it. But when we think back to like the doors opening of the van and surprises like, hey, there's the train station. I was the team leader and this just like overwhelming sense of urgency was hitting me of like, I have five other people that I'm responsible for and we are about to spend the night in some random train station. And this just overwhelming sense of urgency began to hit me. Is that that overwhelming sense of urgency when you see the thing that is the only way that you can get home. And I'm just like, we cannot spend the night outside this train station. We have to make it to that train. That train is our only way home. Just this overwhelming sense of urgency. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this statement that Jesus makes, and it's going to be the train that's the only way home kind of statement. 
And when we look at this statement, the same sense of urgency that I was feeling as this team leader, when I'm looking at this train saying, this is my only way home, we're going to begin to feel that sense of urgency too. We're going to look at this statement and we're going to begin to feel the sense of urgency that you feel when you see the one thing that is your only way home. So it's this statement in John 14, 6. Jesus' statement is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're going to be looking at that statement tonight, and here's where we're going. The first thing we're doing is we're going to look at this passage and discover what Jesus was talking about when he said that. And then there's like a hundred implications that we could have from that statement, but we're just going to talk about one implication, one implication for our lives from that statement. And at the end of the night, everything is going to culminate basically to one question for you. And that one question is this, do you have an overwhelming sense of urgency to get people to Jesus? Do you have an overwhelming sense of urgency to get people to Jesus? So if you got a Bible, like I said, look at John 14. We're going to be keying in on verse 6, but we're going to start in verse 1 and go to verse 7 to get some context to help us understand this statement. So here's how Jesus starts. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to, you know the way to where I am going. So the context for this conversation is it's the night before Jesus' death. So this is called the Upper Room Discourse, and it's the Last Supper. So that famous painting, this is what Jesus is talking to his disciples at, at that meeting. So they're in this Upper Room Discourse, and John is going to record from chapter 13 to chapter 17 this entire conversation. So we get to this point in the conversation, and Jesus starts talking about, like, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. And then verse 2, he starts talking about heaven. He starts saying, hey, in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. So he starts to talk about heaven, and, and the way he's describing it is as a home. The analogy, the metaphor Jesus is using to help these disciples understand what heaven is like is, is home. So you get this idea, like I'm imagining the disciples are sitting there, and you just, as Jesus is talking about just the, the fullness of heaven, the, the good Father that's in heaven, the many rooms, you just, you feel like there's just this longing this longing for home that the disciples are starting to have. Like that longing that you get at the end of the semester when you're just like, man, finals are done. I just can't wait to get home for Christmas. That like deep longing for home. So Jesus is painting this picture of heaven and he's painting it as this, this home, this eternal home that the disciples are longing for. And then he says this statement in verse four. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And in my mind, I'm thinking like the disciples are sitting there and you have that moment when the leader of the group says, yeah, and you guys know. And everyone's like, yeah, totally, man. We totally know. We totally know what you're talking about. And nobody wants to admit, like everybody just smiles. It's like, yeah, we, we know that. Like that's, I think what is happening here. So uh, a couple months ago, I asked my brother, Sam, who is an electrical engineer, graduated from Iowa State. I said, hey, Sam, could you just like, 
explain all of electricity to me. Just, just electricity. He's like, electricity? Like, just, I was like, yeah, just explain electricity to me because it seems like magic. He's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's honestly really easy. You just have like a chain of electrons that have a flow of like ions that are flowing across on a circuit. Like, I was like, oh yeah, you're right, that is easy. Guys, I love the fact that I'm at UNI because I've yet to ask one of you what your majors are and think to myself, I thought that was a subject at Hogwarts. Like, <laughs> like that's, I'm so happy to be here because my brother, he is brilliant, but he speaks gibberish. And I feel very at home with the teachers and accountants. <laughs> you actuarial science people, you can, you can do your thing. I won't talk to you, but accountants, accountants and teachers, talk to me. So finally, you get one of the brave disciples. You get one of the brave disciples actually raising his hand. You get Thomas in verse 5. He says, Lord, actually, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So if, if you don't know who Thomas is, Thomas is the disciple that is famous for being doubting Thomas. Because when Jesus rises from the dead, Thomas is the one that questions the validity of Jesus' resurrection. And I think based on this and that, you should actually just say it's honest Thomas. He is honest when he's confused. So you get this confused look on Thomas. He's like, maybe I'm the only one out of the 12, but I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. How can we know the way? I'm hearing you talk about this eternal home that you're preparing for us, that you're going to come and take us, that you're going to go and prepare, and that we should know how to get there, but I don't. How can we know the way? How can we know the way to this eternal home that you're describing? And I don't know how aware Thomas was when he asked this. I think he was probably just voicing the confusion that was going on in his head. But he is actually asking the question that if, if you were to say, what is the entire Bible about? The entire Bible is about answering that question. How can we get to our eternal home? On the opening pages of the Bible, you have a God who creates everything, and everything is beautiful. And in his, this beautiful and perfect creation, he places two people, Adam and Eve, to live in perfect harmony with him and each other in this beautiful home, this beautiful garden. And everything is functioning in absolutely the way it should. But you just get one page or two pages over, and things begin to unravel. And Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity reject God. They reject this, this good father in the design that he has for their lives. And because of that, they, they are banished from the garden and they lose home. And the rest of humanity loses home. And so for the rest of the Bible, you get this, this question that just continues to surface this question of how do we get back home? How do people who don't have a home get back home? And you just keep flipping it, keep surfacing this question. How do we get home? And so Thomas, he asked, how can we know the way to our eternal home? And maybe you're thinking like, man, what's so special about the garden? Like, I, I don't, I'm not into camping. Like, what, what's so dangerous about being like, I'm into camping. I'm thinking like, you know, a hypothetical person that's not into camping. Just wanted to clarify that. 
You know, you're thinking like, why, what is so important about a home? Well, Isla yesterday at the library picked up Jungle Book the movie, which I love, Hump, Two, Three, Four, The Elephants, best song. Oh, I love it. So good. But in the opening like chapter, I have the chapters of this movie memorized because Isla wants to skip to the song. So in the opening chapter, actually it's chapter two, uh, you get Mowgli, a baby, completely abandoned and alone, completely and utterly alone. And what's the panther's name? I haven't watched it enough times. Bagheera? Thank you. Thank you. Bagheera. Bagheera is just like walking on this tree and he like looks down and sees this baby and he's like, man cub. He's like, everything in me wanted to leave, but I knew if I left, he would die. I had to get this baby a home. So he takes him to this wolf pack and Mowgli's cool. Guys, Bagheera, thank you, knew an orphan left alone without a home will die. If you do not have a home, you will die. And here is what we begin to find in the Bible. People who lost their home with God because of their rejection of him now deserve death. Guys, we need an eternal home because without an eternal home, we face an eternal death. And so the Bible begins to answer this question, how do we get this eternal home? People that are facing eternal death. And guys, when we stop and think about this, I believe, I believe we begin to feel some of that urgency I was feeling at the train station where I'm just like sitting there, the van doors open and I'm looking and saying, that is my way home. Because without that, I'm going to be outside a train station. And there was just a level of urgency rising in my soul. And here's the reality. A night outside a train station in that country would be nothing, nothing compared to spending eternity stranded outside God's eternal home. Nothing compared to eternity without a home. Because there is a level of urgency that you should feel about your situation. Each of us have rejected God. And there's a question. How can people who rejected their father get back home? Because our rejection deserves death. Our rejection deserves eternal homelessness. And I think everybody came into this room tonight significantly underestimating the magnitude of the problem that your homelessness is presenting to you. There's a problem that faces every human and each of us diminish the magnitude of that problem every day. So Thomas is like, man, how can we know the way? And here's Jesus' statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How can people who have rejected God be brought home? Jesus told him, I am the way. Guys, we have a God who looked at people who had rejected him and were sprinting after trains, trying to get home. And he's like, that will never work because that's not how you get home. What has to happen is I need to be the sort of God that sprints towards humanity to bring them home. And so that's what God did 2,000 years ago. Jesus, in, in a sense, got on a train that left his home to come to us outside a train station so that we could be brought home. But here's the reality. The only way that Jesus could bring people who rejected him home was if first he lost it. And on the cross, Jesus was utterly abandoned and alone. The only way that Jesus could bring us home was if he experienced complete loneliness in the darkness of the cross. And that's what he did. He looked at us with love and said, I will provide a way for people who are in a urgent and dire situation to come home, to not be stranded outside the eternal home of God. And the way I'll do that is by giving up my life to provide a way. Guys, and that is what Jesus Christ did for us. Because this is one of the most profound statements that Jesus ever made. And, and I just want to acknowledge, it's also one of the most controversial. For some of you, this statement right here in verse 6 is the singular reason why you have outright rejected Christianity. But here's the reality. When God wanted to offer us true belonging in his family, you know what he offered us? It wasn't a path that we had to hike to get back to him. It was a person that we had to trust in. Because this, this statement, there's so much more that we could say about the objections you have about Christianity because of this statement. But here's what I'll say tonight. Every other religion, every other social club, every other community, they offer you a path to get in. Christianity alone offers you a person that bought your entrance fee. So you get the, Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the solution. The question that Thomas has, the question that the whole Bible has, I am the answer, I am the way that people who have rejected God get back home. So as we contemplate this, there, like I said, there's hundreds of implications that I think this could have for our lives. But I wanna talk about one tonight. And it's this, as we begin to realize that our urgent and dire situation was solved by Jesus, it begins to produce a, an overwhelming joy in our life, a gratitude, a centeredness. But then it begins to also produce a different sort of urgency. An urgency as we begin to realize not only was that train my only way home, but that train is also the only way anybody gets home. If this statement that Jesus is saying is true, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one 
comes to the Father except through me, then that statement begins to produce a different kind of urgency for those of us who have been brought into God's family. The sort of urgency that is, I have to get people who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus. So I told the story of the train ride back to our city. Now I'll tell the story of the train ride to with surprise on the front end of the trip. So uh, surprise, like I said, he invites us on this trip and we get on the train. It was actually the first time I'd ever been on a train. And we get on and the city that we're in is a, a small city in this country of 9 million people. And so I'm just like thinking, okay, we'll like ride on this train for a little bit. It'll take us out of the city. And then surprise told me that the very next city besides the midpoint is like the city we're getting off on. So I'm just expecting Iowa where it's like Cedar Falls to Ames and there's nothing except Boondocks Cafe if you accidentally go north. And that's an accident I'm willing to make any day. Because <laughs> Boondocks Cafe is great. That little oil rig that just... Wee, wee, wee. Okay. So... That's what I have in my mind, just empty, barren wasteland, like between this city and the next closest town. So we go, and the first thing that just shocked me was it took us 30 minutes just to get out of the city that we were staying in. So then we finally get out of the city, and I'm like, all right, now it's like headphones in, like just the equivalent of cornfields in this country to whatever, until this city. But what began to happen is every five minutes, we're like in this windy mountain area and we would come around another bend and it would be a village of 50,000 people. And it's like, oh, wait, surprise, is that the one we're staying at? He's like, oh no, that's just a village in between the two cities. That looks like Des Moines. And he's like, it's a village, man. And then we come around another corner and it'd be village number two. And then we come around another corner, it'd be village number three. And then we come around another corner and village number six. And I'm like, surprise told me that it was the, our city and then we're going to the next closest city. But I'm seeing Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines, Waterloo. Oh, okay, at least that's smaller. <laughs> and then the wild thing about this train ride is I'm like looking around this train and then I'm starting to look out the windows and I don't know, this was amazing to me. There were agricultural fields and they were harvesting something, but the harvest workers were working so close to the train that I could actually see their eyes. And what began to happen to me, the, the other five people on the trip fell asleep. So I'm just like sitting there alone in this moment on this train. And what began to happen is I began to be overwhelmed as I'm looking these farmers in the eyes who surprised told me that that person didn't even speak his language. And I'm like, so not only do I not know your language, he, you don't know his. And, and I'm looking at these people like farmers in all these fields. And then I'm seeing all these villages of Des Moines. And I began to realize that farmer that I just looked in the eyes is going to be born, is going to live, and is going to die. And they will never hear the name Jesus. They will never hear the name Jesus. And, and that Des Moines that we just passed, I, kn I knew every Christian worker in the city that we were in, and I knew nobody knew what was happening in that village of 250,000 people. 
And I knew nobody knew what was happening in village number four. And I was like, there is a Des Moines right there. And there will not be people who, there will be people who never hear the name Jesus in that village. And I began to just weep and sob because, because the overwhelming magnitude of the situation that if this statement of Jesus is true, then that person will not be restored to God. And I was just overwhelmed by the reality that there are people who will not hear the message of Jesus. Guys, do you have that overwhelming sense of urgency that people have to get the message of Jesus or they will not be restored to God? Has this statement in John 14, 6 actually hit you in the guts? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Have you let that actually drop into just the deepest parts of your souls as you think of that statement? Guys, that should produce in us an urgency that people get the message of Jesus. That people hear that he is the way. Guys, think of this. If you had, if you had cancer and you found out that, like, let's say the cure to cancer is in Britain at this one clinic, tomorrow you would drop 2000 bucks to get a plane ticket, get your rear end over there, and you'd get that cure. And let's just say, like, now they, like, everybody who gets it also gets a vial, and they're like, hey, if you meet anybody else that needs it, like, go ahead and give them this. And so you're like, sweet, you put it in your pocket, get back in the plane, come here. You show back up into Cedar Falls, you sit in your dorm, you invite 10 other cancer patients with you, and you all play Xbox. And you have the cure in your pocket. You say, see you next week. And then you invite more over and you watch football and you only talk about fantasy football. Sweet, whole time, cure in your pocket. How unthinkable is that? How utterly unthinkable would it be to have the cure to cancer in your pocket and to sit with cancer patients and only watch football or only talk about things that are frivolous and don't matter? That is unthinkable. And here's the reality. We have a problem that is worse than cancer. And we have a solution that is greater than any cure to cancer, Jesus. And for those of you who have Christ, who are in Christ, you have the solution how amazing is that? I said everyone came into this room underestimating the magnitude of the problem that you face because of your sin. I also think everybody came into this room undervaluing the solution to that problem. 
Jesus. And the reason why I think that is because I do it every day. I showed up last week at Cedar Falls, unloaded a van and looked around at my neighbor's houses. And I thought to myself, I don't want to invite a single one into my house because that would be uncomfortable. And that would put me in an awkward situation where I have to create conversation. <sighs> Guys, are you like, how could I think that? How? On Halloween night, we're going trick-or-treating. Isla was adorable. But you know what sinister thought was going through my mind? Okay, gear up. Here's another person I got to talk to. How sick and sinful is my heart. I need to hear and let this statement penetrate me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm going to not engage with people because I want to be comfortable. Because that was me on Saturday when I moved in. It took so much to go talk to my neighbor, Dave. Are you kidding me, Stephen? How wicked and sinful is my heart that I have to convince myself to take the vial that is the cure that's in my pocket over to my neighbor, Dave. That is sin for me. And I, I need to be changed and sanctified from, from Jesus' statements tonight. And I think a lot of us do. A lot of us need to hear this I am statement tonight, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And let that produce an urgency in us. The beautiful thing that began to happen, though, on that first train ride, as I was being overwhelmed, as I've seen these, these villages and these farmers, was this. I began to have this deep peace as I began to consider who God was. That we have a God who, though these people, in my mind on this train, I had no ability to reach. We have a God who knew every single one of their names. We have a God who made them in his image, a God who cares deeply about them. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace where I just began to say, God, you, you are God and I am not, and I have the privilege of being used by you. But you are a God who loves these people dearly and will bring them and draw them to yourself. And you're a God who is infinitely wise and infinitely powerful, and you this, this problem isn't overwhelming to you. There's never been a problem that's overwhelming to you, God, because the greatest problem that faced humanity, you took care of on the cross. And guys, that, that created just such a deep peace in me so that now when I go to Dave, it's not out of a sense of guilt or shame. It's out of a sense of pure joy. <laughs> it's like, God, you mean that me, a guy that rejected you, has now the opportunity to share the greatest news on earth with Dave and it's not up to me, and it's not resting on my shoulders of what happens with Dave's eternity. Oh, man. God, now I just get to the joy of sharing Jesus. Guys, don't, don't waste your life. Some of you need to go with Ernie in 2021 to reach college students in a community that is desperate for the gospel. 
Some of you need to go overseas this summer and sign up by November 12th, 12, 12 a.m. That's right, Tuesday night. Fill out your applications. Um, and all of us need to engage with the people that God has surrounded us with right now. And in the midst of all that, we will just get the, the joy of being used by God, who's in control of all things, who knows all things, and conquered the greatest problem that faced us 2,000 years ago on the cross. Let's pray.